Canucks Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems for your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. We'll get into the uh, game storylines as the Canucks are in Calgary tonight, second half of a back-to-back, but we'll do that once the pregame begins because the Canucks are number one in the Western Conference. They come back to beat the New York Islanders last night, and we're going to have a little roundtable about it. Vic Nazar, host of The People's Show and uh, Canuck Central Post Game Show as well. Should I talk before Sat? It was, no. uh, it's just a roundtable. Yeah, oh, okay. I mean, it's just a room full of cowards. Coward Central. <laughs> I thought he'd say hi or something first. I feel bad saying saying something before Sat. I mean, I say I, hi I to ta- Sat all the time. I talk enough. It's okay. <laughs> we try to remove the fluff from the show, I think. Yeah. And then there's just me talking for endlessly with a bunch of reads for seven minutes. <laughs> Uh, which uh, sorry, just reading the text inbox. Which two would you rather have? Pedersen, Hughes, Miller, or McKinnon, McCarr, Rantanen, or Reach, Bick, Sat? <laughs> Here we go. Well, I'm partial. <laughs> <laughs> but last night was crazy, and it's another. Okay, maybe we'll we'll start the roundtable with a simple question: How good are the Canucks? <laughs> Look, I know it's been pretty much the question all season long. Yeah. But it's it's getting kind of ridiculous at this point, and I I wonder. Are you trying to say they're elite in here, Dan? <sighs> <laughs> that pause. I mean, that I'm, pause. I'm I'm thinking it right now. <laughs> I'm thinking it right now. There's a certain level of like takery that, that that we don't want to be too early on things. Yes, and and you know, or sometimes we want to be so early. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting till the 22nd. I'm still waiting till the 30th. <laughs> He's got a date. <laughs> no, no. Look, they play Colorado. They play yeah. Vegas. That's why. Okay. Even if they go one and one, then I say, okay, look, this might be real. Yeah. And I'm not saying elite and in that tier, but I, I think we, we can say that they've graduated into a tier and then it's stabilizing in the tier. Like those are the two things I'm keeping an eye on. If if, if we can sit here and say they're they're the twelfth best team, ninth best team, and they're in that fringe contender tier and they're they're gonna get a hundred points. How do you stay in that tier? And I was actually looking at this last night, uh, even after the game. Like, there's been some teams that have had young cores in the past ten years that have taken a step. And how did the franchise react? You, you, we, we talk about how good Colorado is now, but ten years ago, they had Duchesne, Landeskog, O'Reilly, McKinnon, Barry, all under 25 years old, and then they. Missed the playoffs after that. They overspent on some guys. They traded picks on Reto Barra and Carl Soderberg and spent on Jerome McGinley. Like it's going to be interesting to see like how the organization reacts to this level of success. So uh, let's kind of tear out the league here. I think this is mm-hmm. a, good, a good good way of doing it. We did it with the um, defenses on yes. Central a little while back, right? But okay, I think we all agree that the Avs and Golden Knights. And let's say the Rangers are 100% in that top tier, right? Should we sneakily uh, have a conversation with the Avs? 
Are, are you, uh, you want to fade just, them a little bit? I, I, I'm just saying five and five in the last ten. Hey, fair enough. But I'm just saying, let, let's. I still put them in there. Yeah, okay. Because okay. they've won the Stanley Cup, and we know how elite they they have McCarr. Let's just let's just afford mm-hmm. them that you know the benefit okay. of doubt for the time being. So the Jonathan Duran is not. Gabriel Landeskog. We right. figured that out. Okay. So, Avs, Vegas Golden Knights, Rangers. Um, and who else do we put into that group? Hurricanes? No, no. no. I, I think the tier of, like, I'm actually scared of these teams. Is that the is, three? Is, is probably just those three. Right? So, I'd say they're the top tier teams, right? And then you have the next tier of contenders, where... You know, people love the Devils, right? Mm-hmm. So let's put them in there, right? Off to a tough start. But but let's put them there. Let's put the Canes there, right? Of course. Yeah. The Dallas Stars. Also off to a tough start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, there's 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 a lot of... <laughs> Dan, Dan's just itching, man. Dan's just itching. Wait till right. we try to put Edmonton in the tier. Dan's like, <laughs> no. off to a bad start. Bad start. All right. So Devils, Canes starts. You mentioned the Oilers. Going into the season, yeah. this is the tier they were in. Going into the season, this is where they were. Yeah. Now, I know Edmonton's off to this horrible start, but... I wouldn't be shocked. We're gonna be we're gonna be sitting here after a 15 game stretch, and they've gone 12 2 and 2 mm-hmm. or 12 2 and 1. You well, know, that wouldn't shock me if they they've do won that. three in a row now. Right. So it wouldn't shock me. So I think, you know, let's just put because of McDavid and then let's let's put the Oilers in that group, right? The Oilers yelling in our text inbox yeah. right now. Uh, off to a tough start. <laughs> <laughs> off to a very tough start. <laughs> and then you put the Dallas Stars there, right? Yeah. So that's a four team tier, and do we put the Lightning there? Tough start, but we put them there. You lose. What did they lose? Five nothing to the St. Louis Blues. I mean, that's, that's this whole tough. tier is just reputation, right? Lightning. Yeah, and, yeah. this and is the reputation. Bruins, tier. Bruins, Bruins, right? Yeah. And Leafs. then and the Leafs. Yeah. So Kings. Kings. Yeah. Again, we're we're at twelve teams probably now. Right. right? No, so that's that's nine teams. So we're at twelve teams total. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I think that's the like the group in the league. Right. And after then that? and after there's and then there's a the next group where the Seattle Kraken find themselves now all of a sudden, right? Um, the Minnesota Wild have been struggling, the Flames, the Capitals, the Penguins, uh, Jets. the Jets, right? Preds, Blues. Yep. Are the Canucks better than the, that group of team? So that's why, like, yeah, maybe the Canucks are bottom of that second tier mm-hmm. in the lower half of it, lower third even, but I have them in that tier. I don't think it's unfair to say they're kind of in that mix. Now, you could also splice that tier a little bit because the Bruins sure. you know, probably deserve to be a bit higher up there or whatever. So the question is, do the Canucks belong in the same conversation as teams like the Leafs and Kings? Or are they just a notch below those teams? Well, that's why I go back. It's it's You've entered the conversation, but now you have to stay in the conversation. Right. Like This start is beyond anyone's wildest imagination. If they continue this till game 40, then okay, you're in the conversation. And what does it change and and the, the future outlook? I know we were talking at the start of the season. I know ESPN did that like under 26 yes. and list and what is the 3-year staying power of each team? I think they've shown that they can be in the conversation and 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 have staying power, but or at least shown what the upside looks like. Now it's about sustaining that and proving it's like that was wrong. Mm-hmm. These guys are going to be around for a long time, and we 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 have to be viewed as a top ten team for the next three, four, five years. The thing about what what like what I like about this team is how well they've played defensively as a team. The connectivity of it all, how they take away the backdoor play, how they're not giving up odd man rushes. We've talked about this on end. Now, everybody keeps saying, oh, the regression of the goals is coming. Re- regression, regression, regression. 
they play so well defensively and have played so well defensively for most of these 16 games that that's something I can see continuing, especially when you have an elite netminder like Thatcher Demko. So goal scoring regression, sure, maybe it comes at some point. But it will come. It will come. It's the defense that I think leads me to the point where I'm at that you can be in a higher tier because all those teams in a higher tier, what do they have in common? They tend to defend pretty well. It's it's a fair assertion. And I would say, and we see people texting in, like Raymond says, why are the Leafs automatically in that next tier? There's no goaltending and mid-defense. 100% true. And even the Canucks, they have some flaws with their team. All these teams have some flaws. We put the Oilers in that tier. We're being pretty mm-hmm. liberal right now. Yeah, no, but you also have to remember, it's like uh, I think we're, we're having that conversation of not just 16 games in, of who can go win a Stanley Cup? Who still scares you? Yes, and at some point, some of the teams are going to make improvements, and if they correct some of the flaws, then you're looking at, it's not as if they have to go find a Matthews, Nylander, Marner. They already exist on that team. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they've shown what they can be. It's just how do they supplement it the rest of the way? Well, And that's what we talk about finding other ways to improve the team. That's why the organization is still aggressive. And I think the thing I kept thinking about last night was how many years can you actually have a season where you have a player that could win the Norris, one player who could win the Art Ross, mm-hmm. one player who could could win the Hart, one well, player they, who could they, win the Vesna. They right? have three players who could win the Art Ross, right? Now. Right, 100%. <laughs> they do. It's it's absurd. But I'm saying how how many how many years can you have those four things be a real possibility, yeah. you know, almost a quarter of the way into the season, right? So if you have like this might be the best collective season these guys have, have as a group in terms of individual players, right? Aren't you obligated to do everything you can to give that team at least a chance to get better? And I'm not saying talking about rentals, but I'm talking about being aggressive to mm-hmm. make your team better. Sometimes something's right in front of you. Yeah. And are you going to waste it just because you're like, oh, we got to be real, real careful here? And you do That's have to be aggressive. That's definitely how they talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I do Jim think. Jim Rutherford walks into Patrick Alvin's <laughs> like, Patrick, we got to be real careful here. <laughs> and again, I don't think rentals, but I do think that's a reason why, too, the team probably is extra aggressive is you see how hot your team is this year they're quote-unquote a wagon right now yes and why why don't you do everything you can to make that even better it's um we all know the one piece that they would love to have like even the the top line forward that you could maybe hope to add onto this team at some point like yeah it's something you'd like to add but the more important part is finding another second pair defenseman Mm mm-hmm and if you can add that with the way that this team is playing as a group, as a whole, the power play that they have, the goaltending that they already have, you get another horse on the back end. How how are you not considered at least amongst the fringe contenders in the National Hockey League? And if I'm Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford, that's the way I'm looking at this. Yeah, and I think the reality is, and Alvine, I mean, Rutherford himself said, we can't sustain big injuries. Yeah. And when I keep hearing about we need more depth— if you're worried about not being able to sustain a big injury, do you think acquiring a third pair of defensemen is no. going to change that? No. Do you think acquiring a third line winger is going to mm-hmm. change that? The only thing that helps supplement your high-end depth is having more high-end depth. Yeah. So I think that's the pool that you're swimming in here, right? And, and what you're looking for. And I think that's where I'm really curious to see what the Canucks can actually pull off here. And it's very difficult in, in a flat cap world. You have to have assets. Can the Canucks get creative in how they create those assets? And I think that's going to be one of the big challenges the rest of the season is 
how do you actually take advantage of what seems to be a, his, a at least a franchise a historical season franchise wise in terms of ind- individual players at least the start that you're getting off to what a funny contrast to to, to think of all the things that were coming into the season and you're having all these successes obviously you'd almost prefer it to be next year <laughs> right is it is a year too early well like you take it because it's happening right yeah but from the management's point of view would they have said this like hey if we knew we were gonna have three guys leading the scoring 16 games of the season couldn't you guys have waited till we got myers and some of these guys off the <laughs> books because now because now you have to do all these things because you're right how many seasons like we, we said this last year with tampa bay when when they went and traded Janot for all those picks and like, yeah it's like, how many times are you gonna have uh that level of of core of Norris, Hart Trophy winner, Art Ross winners, Con Smythe. Yeah. And, and you have to keep giving them chances. And these guys are doing it right now. And each each season lives in its own silo. But right now, they're crushing it. And not to approach it as a reward, but if they're this good, don't you have to try to supplement them to try to make a run too? Again, there's a lot of reaction in terms of how we did the tiers. People are like, if you're you're delusional, if you don't have the Bruins and the Bruins in the top tier, for me, it wasn't an exercise of actually tearing the league out. It was more about let's see where the Canucks kind of land. For sure, you can put whichever team you want. But, but here's the- also the Bruins also just lost in the first round and they lost Patrice Bergeron. It's yeah. true, and David Krejci. Now this so far this year, they've shown they've overcome. Right, you can look at the Florida Panthers. They've mm-hmm. overcome their injuries so far, and they're going to get healthier, and they could be a team that goes up there. But the point is, the Canucks may be in the conversation with those teams in that second big tier, right? But how many players away are you from being at the top of that tier, and perhaps challenging to go above that? At least two impact players away. But if you add one, you at least I think give yourself a chance to do something in the postseason because then you have the goaltender, you have Quinn Hughes. You have, you know, a high-end offense. You add another higher-end player to the mix. I think it gives you a chance to at least, I mean, not win the cup maybe, but at least get a lot closer to it this season. And things have to break your way. Yeah. And all I know is if you have an incredible goaltender and you have a player like Quinn Hughes who's literally playing at the highest level of any player in the National Hockey League right now, he's doing things Bobby Orr did. Yeah. Over his first 300 games as a National oh, Hockey League Quinn player. Hughes, like if the season ended today, Quinn Hughes is winning... The Norris and maybe the Hart. <laughs> so sorry, actually, sorry. Go ahead. So if you have a player who's playing at that level this season, who's maybe playing at, as as high a level as we've ever seen a defenseman play, at least for a spell, right? And if he can continue that for the course of a season, we talk about Caleb McCarr, what he did in the playoffs for yep. Colorado. We talk about McDavid. We've spoken about Nathan McKinnon when they find that next level. If your guys can find that next level in a year, you just want to give them a chance, man. Yeah. Uh, that's what I was going to ask, uh, 2018 redraft. Now that we know what 16 games in of this version of Quinn, of Quinn Hughes exists, is he first? I think Quinn, I know there's certainly people out east that wouldn't agree with me on this. I would have taken Quinn over Rasmus Dahlin in the summer if we were doing a 2018 redraft mm-hmm. then. I think he's better defensively than Rasmus Dahlin. Like the, the questions that people have about Quinn Hughes defending – why don't they apply to Rasmus Dahlin? Because he's got size, Dan. The thing is, again, for, for, from physical attributes, yeah, like Rasmus Dahlin is 6'3", he's just bigger. There's he's nothing... very explosive. The, the, he there's... does a lot of fun things on the ice. He's an incredible okay. defenseman. For every year we've said, hey, he's very explosive, he's this and he's that. And suddenly Quinn Hughes has improved his skating, yeah. Yeah. which is 
insane to think <laughs> that Quinn Hughes has improved his skating and, and his he's, shot. That he, shot in overtime last night. He's was picking ridiculous. his spots. So yes. last year, if we saw Quinn Hughes on a breakaway, what my my thought always was: I hope he dekes that puck into the net, sure, because his shot's not going to do it. Yeah. Now he's picking his spots. Mm-hmm. And so this is the thing: it's like the argument of okay, Darlene's a, a touch faster because he's more explosive. Okay, well that's kind of gone. Ask so Matt Martin what he thinks about Quinn Hughes. <laughs> it's it's literally just height. That's all we're talking about. Yeah. So if you did a redraft of 2018, I kind of think Quinn Hughes goes first overall. I think this is going to be a discussion between Dahlin and Hughes year in mm-hmm. and year out. You yeah. know, like we, we saw Hughes kind of take a leap early, then Dahlin kind of came back, and now Hughes is having this. I, I think you can, they're 1A, 1B. Mm hmm. I think that's been pretty evident here now. I mean, we can talk about how good Svechnikov is, and I love me some Brady Kachuk, man. But Yeah, absolutely. But I'm still taking Quinn Hughes over any other player, right? Yeah. It's Dahlin and Hughes. That's the conversation from that draft. And we're talking about Hall, Hall of Fame-level production so far from these types of players and, and what they're pr- providing. And people talk about primes for players being different ages. And, I mean, I wouldn't say that this is the best year Quinn's ever going to have, but it could be the best season Quinn mm-hmm. ever has. And, and, and Rossman Stalin had 13 and 15 goal seasons. And it's like, yeah. okay, that's another separating factor. Well, Quinn Hughes has got six yeah. through 16 games. Yeah, he's, uh, he, he's talked about it for years, how he wants to improve his goal scoring. Didn't happen last year, but this year certainly it is. Um, The other part of this team is the power play that sets them apart, right? We've seen the Oilers. They had a historic power play last year. They carried that to an incredible season. Yeah, you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, Mm -hmm. and you can do some incredible things on the power play, but this Canucks power play, it's feeling like kind of a, a similar formula to what we've seen from the good Oilers teams of the last couple of years where you have a power play that separates you from everyone else in the league. We play well enough at five on five, and that's how we're going to win a bunch of hockey games day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And that's like that's last night, right? They didn't have a five on five goal last night. They had a bunch of chances. Their PDO actually went down last night because they didn't <laughs> score a five on five goal. Yeah, But I, I just wanted that. to throw that in there. <laughs> It's great. Their, their PDO has 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 a nor. It's still the best in the National Hockey League, but that gap isn't as big as it was. <laughs> my uh, no, brother-in-law PDO- messaged me, and he's like, "I've been listening to the station a lot. Cause, you know, Cucks are winning. What is BDO?" And I was like, "No, it's PDO. It's PDO." Uh, but anyways, for all the regression talk about PDO, like the Canucks PDO is coming down, and there's they've only lost one game, so yeah. it's um, that's why I always thought it was overblown. But the, the the power play is the separating factor, and it. They kind of feel like a similar formula to how the Oilers have won so many games the last couple of years. They have everything on that power play. Yeah. yeah. And, and more importantly, they like each player, just about Kuzmenko, but each guy is getting featured at what their skill set is. Like Quinn Hughes is allowed to go anywhere, which is yeah. what we've always wanted yeah. to see. Pedersen is finding different spots to get his one-timer off. At the top, on the left, wherever. JT can now set up in the bottom right. On the left wall, wherever he wants to go, and also can still get his shot off. Brock's in the bumper. Like, Brock's an accurate shooter with a quick shot. It's what I, I've always wanted to see Brock in the bumper. So, each, like, the best version of, of, or the best feature each player can provide, it's being highlighted. Yeah. And it's not stagnant anymore, which was already annoying, but now it's like everyone can feature what they're good at and they're going to get their opportunity because it's so multiple. And because of the unpredictability of it, 
that makes it so difficult for teams to play against because you also, as much as yes, you want to allow the players to really focus in on what they're really great at, but they're also really good at doing different things. So why not let them also mm -hmm. explore and use their skill sets and other ways which can help the team? Like for instance, last night, I mean, we could talk about J JT's pass to Brock. Just an... <laughs> if if you tell me the Sunday Sugo, it was incredible. If you try to next say it was it was cheetah speed on uh, <laughs> yeah. hummingbird feet or something like that. I I know we get called J T Miller Central and everybody knows that you yeah. know we're big fans of J T Miller's game on this show. But I still don't think people understand how incredibly skilled he is. No, how incredibly skilled he is. Like, like the passes he makes, the vision that he has, his hands. Like yes, there there are flaws to his game. Of course, everybody has some flaws. But I don't think people really truly appreciate the high level of skill this player has. He's a power player, but he's incredibly skilled. Like, there's so much about JT. I, I love, in my mind, I think that there's just like a, a pettiness going into last night's game from JT. Like, yeah, I want to be, I, I want to, I want to be both. <laughs> but he gives you that feeling, right? Because he wears his heart on his yeah. sleeve as a player and you feel it from the first shift last night, how he's playing with that sort of force and he's done it consistently this year he's had that mentality game in and, and game out that pass last night man it just like it it defied physics it seemed like yeah actually to, to stay living in your mind there for a second we were talking a, a week ago that talk was like finding these micro challenges of like oh pd had a hat trick but he turned it over a bunch mm -hmm. even if you just want to say like hey he wanted to go compete against a friend last night yeah and it felt evident like 61 percent in the draw and all that sort of stuff um that to me is another note that Tockett just hits of like just finding different ways to motivate these guys. Obviously, you have the carrot at the end of the stick, playoffs mm -hmm. and all this stuff, Stanley Cup. But like you have to find moments through the course of a season to say like tonight, like this is what we want to get out of you. And it felt like tonight or last night for JT. No, it certainly did. And in terms of also providing other things outside of the skill, just the physical aspect he's able to, the battle level he has when he's fighting for pucks along the wall. I mean. To me, it's contagious for the entire team. When he brings it, yeah. you know, and mm -hmm. we've seen lapses, of course, but we're seeing that effort be very consistent so far this season. And when it is, it you has such a big... You can have lapses when you're playing this well, though. Well, listen, nobody's perfect. You're yeah. going to have your moments. How much are you outproducing your issues, which creep up from time to time? And I'd say he is outproducing them yeah. massively. But just the, there was a play behind his net where he lost the puck for a moment, but he stick-checked like an absolute animal. I think it was on Mayfield, like a strong defender, and just, just was such a hound on him until he stole the puck back. Back, and he fights off another check. He fights through more contact, and he brings the puck out. I mean, not only is there the, that skill aspect, but also to be, be able to have him not just stay um, on the half circle, but get him down low a bit more to use that strength and tire out defenders and win pucks back. That's what makes his power play so special. It's everything in unison that they have, and it comes in so many unpredictable ways. It was the second best play behind the net yesterday with uh, Hoaglander passing it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even start with me. <laughs> That was a it great was, play. What are you was, talking about? Th listen, we, we've, there are too many good things going on for us to focus on. I just, I just yeah. wanted to mention that. That was so funny. Yeah. I know freeze that, anybody. Sat's going to be so angry. It was you just so unnecessary. Honestly. It would be one thing if like, you do it to your backhand, to your forehand, and you spin around. It's like he's on his forehand. He just passed it to himself. Like, like, literally, like you should have seen my reaction. <laughs> you should have seen my reaction. <laughs> um, it's uh, so, so the power play is another thing. And then... You know, the, the obvious parts, like Thatcher Demko um, as another separating factor to this team, like in the Western Conference, the next best goalie in the Western Conference, at least by form right now, is Jordan Bennington. Mm -hmm. Not UC Saros, not Georgiev, not 
whoever is playing for the LA Kings. In the Western Conference, you get into a playoff series, you have your elite players playing well and your goalie doing that kind of thing. That's I mean that's that's kind of the formula you've looked at with the Canucks team for for so long and you're starting to see that picture come to fruition. That's I think the most appealing thing about this team if they get into the postseason healthy it, it was is always, the goaltender. It was, it was always their edge in the Pacific. Yeah. Is uh, up until Aiden Hill yeah. Uh, yeah. showed out. It was just like, well, you have Thatcher Demko over everyone else. Um, LA's changed, obviously, quick, faded out, and Copley and Cam Talbot and whatever's going on in Edmonton. It, it was always their edge. And if you have a consistent power play, you have a defense that at least has players that can play roles, it gives you a chance. And I think that's the most encouraging part of Thatcher Demko showing what he can do this season. And it comes down to health yet again. But that's the one trump card they may have, even if the roster is somewhat incomplete. And why you you can talk yourself into this being a really interesting team come the postseason. Because you look at the players and like, if you you start going up against most opponents in the playoffs. Yep. And you just do the top five players. You're going to be hard-pressed up, up until you run up against a team like Vegas yep. or something where you're going to be like, well, yeah, most of those players are not Vancouver Canucks. And when you have that and the goaltender is one of those players who might be number one amongst them, that's just a, a massive edge you have. And on form, uh, the Canucks are as good as anybody right now in the league. Uh, final thing, because it has been all uh, roses and tulips so far uh, on uh, this roundtable. And why not? The team is really good. Um where are the caution flags for you? Aside from, we talked a little bit about the depth and, and maybe an injury coming. Where where are the caution flags with what we've seen so far with the Canucks? Is Man. there a big one? Injuries? Like, yeah, that goes for everybody, but yes. Isn't that also kind of a sign of mm-hmm. like, hey, this is a pretty good team? Like if they somehow lose their buy-in, for whatever reason, and this connectivity that we've seen them play with. If, if they lose the like, buy-in, then there's all sorts of problems. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd still say I'd still say it's the I, it's um, the defense. Yeah, it's, 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 it's like, going to be that. Honestly, as long as you're going to be playing guys like Noah Juleson and Mark Friedman, yeah, it's that's going to be tough. And every team goes through some injuries. But even heading into the season, getting Friedman was an upgrade over what they had. Now, he's obviously had his ups and downs recently and came out of the lineup for Juleson. Now he's back in with Carson Soucy's injury. I'd still say the caution flags are on the back end. If Quinn Hughes just goes on a bit of a cool streak here a little bit and Hirona kind of goes a little mm-hmm. bit cool, what else do you have that can kind of help you out a little bit? And I think that's the one thing. And I think that's still why it remains the organization's number one priority to improve the defense. The thing is, we got through the phase now of can you bank enough points to find the solution come December, come January, come February? And the, the injury to Susie plays a big role into it that you know Friedman and, and Juleson have to play a bit more. But the fact that they've banked enough points and now it's not as if Ethan Bear has to come in, if he does come in, of, hey, he's here to help save the season and stay, stabilize the season or whoever they go acquire is there to stabilize the season. Now it's like accentuating what's already had success. Mm-hmm. Because you survived this stretch, like the worst stretch of the defense should have been the start of the season. Susie misses a couple of games to begin. You're trying to figure out Hughes and Ronick, that compatibility is it going to be there, and you just didn't have the depth. And they've got 25 points. If they can add to it, having already banked these points, that to me is a huge step. 
Uh, they could uh, lose each of the next four games, not get a point ahead of American Thanksgiving and still be on pace for over 100 points this season. So every stat is just mind boggling. It's, it's like every single stat. They're just all these crooked numbers or video game numbers to start a season. <laughs> like that's really what they are. Um, we'll, uh, we'll continue to, uh, read some reaction on, uh, the round table, 650, 650 on the Dunbar <laughs> Lumber text message here. inbox. I, I, I won't launch it right now. Cause you should Bertuzzi or JT. That's a good question. Yes. Yeah. Someone's texting me in. Yeah, I like Bertuzzi in his heyday or JT. Oof. That's a good question. You got to think about that one. Yeah. Let's tease the answer for a different... Maybe we'll save it for the mailbag tomorrow. There you go. Austin and, and Langley. Caution? What about when they start hitting their stride? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Rafe Bick, quadruple duty today. People show Canuck Central pregame, postgame. Has uh, management bucked up for your theme music? Not pregame, but uh, I- I'm waiting until Elias Pedersen signs his contract to see what the market uh, <laughs> precedent is, and then I'll I'll saddle over to Canberra's office. Uh, appreciate you jumping in. See you, boys. Uh, there he is, Bick Nazar. People's Show, Talk Central Post Game. And we'll have Big Six tomorrow on the People's Show. Can't wait for it. It is uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, coming back. An update on Elias Pettersson. Mm. We mm. talked about it yesterday, but maybe there is more there. There. An exclusive uh, update from Elliot Friedman. A little teaser clip of what's to come on 32 Thoughts tomorrow. That's next on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back into the Kintech studio, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. And on the 650-650 uh, Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, uh, Hans, uh, I like Sat's reference to video game numbers. Reminds me of when... Ibra referred to Messi as PlayStation. Is Hughes our version of the PlayStation player? Uh, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Um, I mean, it's it's just remarkable. And when you watch P- Quinn in person, you realize that he doesn't really have flaws in his game outside of he is who he is in terms of his size. Like, he's not going to be this this big, you know, defenseman who's a bludgeon anybody or anything, no. right? And... His defensive, I wouldn't say his defensive IQ is super elite, but it's good. And his stick is very active. It wins a lot of pucks oftentimes. He's made some mistakes. Everybody does. But his mistakes usually end up from like maybe like him, you know, uh, slipping or something or falling over or, make, or just making an odd mistake because he handles the puck so much. And that's just going to happen like last night. And it's unfortunate. The one, like, Literally, the one mistake he made last night ended up on Bo Horvat's stick and in the back of the net. Like Honestly, the only only time he, he he put a skate wrong last night. For a guy that has the puck on his stick for almost like three minutes per game, the amount of like <laughs> awful turnovers we've seen him make, it's actually like incredibly small. It is. Like when you ratio out yeah. the amount of time he's on the puck and the amount of times he actually turns the puck over in bad spots. I mean, it's there, it's happened on what? Two goals this year? The, the one last night and... Was it Nashville where, uh, yeah, the 6-2 the win that it ended up being against Nashville? Yeah, yeah. There was uh, the 
the first time that Hughes and Hronick had gotten scored on this season. Uh, it started with a, a Hughes turnover. So it's like, you know, you, you, we used to see it with, uh, and you see it with a lot of top guys like Carlson early in his career in Ottawa, people would be like, oh, he turns the puck over way too much. It's like, well, it's always on a stick. Yes. <laughs> P.K. Subban in his early career in Montreal, when he even when he won a Norris, people were like, well, he makes too many mistakes with the puck. Well, it's like, because the puck's always on a stick. It's going to happen. You yeah, know, mistakes it, are going to happen like, from time just, to time. Those things are going to happen, but the amount, like, the, the, the good so far outweighs the bad. And you know what, even for a guy, like, for a guy of his size, and, and I know... Now, that's always going to be a bit of the conversation with him. He doesn't get beat out too often, like in front of the net. Um, physicality, like you'll see it a couple times a year, but it's it's really just not all that often. I've seen him maybe lose position in front of the net a couple times or a little bit or make, make, make a mistake in front of the net. But yeah, he doesn't oftentimes get beat out to a spot. The flaws to his game are honestly pretty minuscule at this point. Yes. And, they're, they're almost not worth talking about. Yeah, and it's more the about... the good is so good. Yeah, and, but I, I just think it's, it's interesting that you start looking at, okay, what is he not exceeding at right now or excelling at? And it's like pretty much nothing. Like there, yeah. there aren't many things he's not. And even on the PK, you know, somebody texted in and said the PK is still an issue. I think that's fair. However, we're talking about a PK that's average right now. Yeah. Can they get to being good? Yep. But last year we had the conversation about them being historically bad. Like they were historically. And they just get out of the basement. The last calendar year, like the last two seasons, last year and the year before, they were on trend to be the worst PK in NHL history. And they had stretches, which was the worst, most futile stretch in NHL history. Like yeah. it was really bad. This year is just kind of average. Mm-hmm. It's kind of been the 18 range, sometimes 16, 15. It went down a bit, but they're still in the top, you know, 20. They're not in the bottom third. They're not in the bottom, you know, quarter of PKs or, or really at the end of the PKs in the league. So it has taken a step, but I would agree that it, that still has to improve. Um, this uh, text <laughs> comes in. Not sure if you guys have covered this already, but do you know what the only thing harder than trying to save a 135 mile an hour slap shot is? Trying to save it blind. What an incredible screen by Miller on that goal. Imagine standing in front of that bomb. Uh, the NHL corrected the Philip Ronick slap shot. Uh, it was not 107.9 miles an hour. Not surprised. Yeah, it was uh, just over 100. Which still, it's incredible. Still a top 10 hardest shot in the league this year. So, you have Hughes and you have Ronick. It feels like a luxury this organization has not really had all that often. Um, you know, e- even 2011, those teams, like they had a lot of really good defensemen, mm-hmm. right? Um, but nobody of the quality of, of Quinn Hughes in, in 2011. And now you have Hughes. They they seem to get the best out of each other. Mm-hmm. And because they've played so much together, we're seeing the best version of each one of them simultaneously that's leading to unbelievable success for both of these players and yeah i mean we've talked about it a ton already but the the contract situation with philip aronic is uh it's costing more and more with each passing day yeah we'll see what the number looks like at the end of the season um but i mean with that shot of his that he's unleashing to finally it's it's got to find more like it would be nice to find more ways to use it yes and it's remarkable that he's gotten off to this incredible start exceeding all expectations and it was game 16 where he finally unleashed that weapon, yeah. which we talked so much about, in a, in a productive way with scoring his first goal. Something you want to see more of, but you also see what it can provide. And there were questions, people wondering, like, why is this guy not shooting the puck 
as much. You know, what, what's wrong with him? And it's like, well, he's actually shooting the puck at the same rate he always has. He's not a high volume shooter. But you like to see him get his one timer that that shot off more often. And it's tough when you're not on the first unit power play. And obviously with Andre Kuzmenko getting injured and unfortunately taking a puck high, um, and he's missing the game in Calgary. It's it's tough, obviously, but he got that chance there. And that switch him and Hughes had to set it up perfectly too. I mean, yep. it was put on a platter for him, and you'd like to see them f- figure out more certain instances where that can be a thing. It's uh, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. So, Elias Patterson, we talked about it yesterday. There is optimism. And tomorrow, 32 Thoughts uh, will come out. But we have a little bit of a preview, a little bit of a tease as to what is going to be said about Elias Pettersson here on the next edition of 32 Thoughts. It's Elliot Friedman providing what he's hearing on the situation between the Vancouver Canucks and their star center leading the league in points alongside his two teammates, Elias Pettersson. I think there's just a lot of places that this could go right now. And one of the places I I think it can go is term. And he's represented by CAA. And earlier this year, they had a negotiation with Owen Power. And one of the reasons the Owen Power negotiation got done was because the Buffalo Sabres were willing to take seven years instead of eight, which allowed Power to become an unrestricted free agent at the age of 29. If Pedersen signs a four-year deal, he will become a UFA again right before he turns 29. And I always, now that I know that his agents think that's important, I make a note of it because the surest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Do I think that Pedersen could sign an eight-year deal? Yeah, I, I think he could. But I also think it's possible that they look at it and say, why don't you do the Matthews, sign four years at a big number, and then we can do this again so you get another big one while you're still in your prime. So I think that is a possibility. Now, the other thing here is, initially, I believe that the Canucks and Patterson were willing to wait until they knew for sure that the cap was going up into the 87, 88 range, just so that everybody knew exactly what the number was going to be. Like, for example, with Pierre-Luc Dubois, when he was traded from Minnesota to L.A., they waited until the last possible second to get that deal done to see if there was going to be any flexibility on the cap this year. And when they knew there wasn't, they made the deal. So, I again, I, I think part of this is, should we wait until the cap number gets done before we officially sign the deal? I, I think there was talk about that. But I also think there's been, eh, we kind of know where it is. Let's just do it and get it done so we have something to celebrate here. So I think there are some differing possibilities. But at the end of the day, I think the way the Canucks have started the season, they've made it very clear, and I think Pedersen's made it very clear, we want this to happen. So barring a major swerve, it's going to get done. The questions are term and when. But we're going there. There is uh, Elliot Friedman on uh, the upcoming version of 32 Thoughts. A little bit of a sneak preview here on Canuck Central. More optimism around Elias Patterson. Some details on uh, what he's hearing and 
why he's hearing what he's hearing and why the situation with Pedersen may be more short-term than long-term. Yeah, and it's kind of like we outlined yesterday about how the Matthews contract was what to watch, which was a four-year extension, and how if the cap goes up to the level that we expect it to go up in four years, we're talking about $110 million cap maybe, or at least a $100 million cap. And then if you're talking about being a Hart Trophy nominee and you're mm-hmm. going to get 15% of the cap or 16% of the cap, we're talking about 15, 16 million plus potentially at that per point. Per season, yeah. So if, if that's something that you can be locking down in three to four years, why not sign a four-year deal? And when you're 29 or close to 30 and teams are not going to be reluctant to sign superstar players at, at, at that age for big money, whether it's Vancouver or elsewhere, I mean, you, you, he could be staring at making five or six million more per year than whatever he signs right now for. Yeah. And that over five years and six years is an extra 30 to 40 million. So if that's, if those are the types of numbers you're talking about here, then a four-year deal makes the most sense. And it's kind of in line with what we've been hearing here locally that it's, it it looks like right now the discussion seems to be more around that four-year deal, but it's still very early too, like we said, and like Elliot mentioned, and they're going to explore a bunch of different things here. The most encouraging part is Elias Pedersen's bought in. Yeah. And they want to get something done, you know, and I think when you look at how Pedersen has conducted himself and he's had his struggles with some injuries and he's still leading the league in scoring, but you see how locked in he is, how, what, what he's demanding of himself. You've seen the stuff from behind the scenes of uh, how encouraged he is by how hard they're practicing. He's sounding like his head coach. Mm-hmm. You see how animated he gets on the ice and how he celebrates goals and moments and how locked in, in he is. He does not look like a player who's thinking about anything but succeeding as a Vancouver Canuck. And if you had any concerns about Pedersen and his desire to be here, I don't think you should be worried about that at all because just look at how he's playing. Yeah. I think, I think it's instructive, the, the the point he made on Owen Power wanting to get to free agency by 29. Yeah. Not that it's a, a huge deterrent once you hit the age of 30, but clearly if the agents are advising you want to get to free agency by 29 rather than 30, it's just... Maybe it's kind of dumb, but you know the age thirty drop off could be somewhat significant enough that it's better to hit free agency at twenty nine rather than when you have the three starting your age number. There's always a cutoff, yeah, for everything, right? And sometimes it seems arbitrary when we're just looking about a year here and there. Yeah. But if you're twenty nine, all of a sudden a six or seven year contract, mm-hmm. and that takes like the player to thirty five or thirty six. You're not too concerned with that. Yeah. Now, if a player is 30 and looking at a seven-year deal, now you're looking at 37. 38, yeah. 38. Maybe he's 30, you know, he's kind of a little bit older, into his 30s, he's going to turn 31 during a year. You're talking about 38-year-old under contract. Imagining somebody being 35, 36 when the contract ends, I think feels better for teams than imagining a player being 37, 38, 39. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, off the top of your head, like how many how many guys are over the age of uh, 35 in the league right now? There's just... Uh, there is not a ton. So Tiago Silva for Chelsea, 39, <laughs> going strong. What a legend. Yeah, what a legend. Uh, oldest player in the league is Mark Giordano. Uh, it's, it's the Italian blood, you know. It's, uh, it's really what gets it done. Joe Pavelski, Marc-Andre Fleury, Jeff yeah. Carter, Ryan Suter, Pierre-Edward Belmar, Brent Burns, Brent Seabrook, not playing, Corey Perry. You know, those are the guys that are 38 and over. That's it. That's the list. A lot of them were star players in their primes that are still going, and one guy is just uh, a fourth-line lifer in Pierre-Edward Belmar that's uh, kind of bucked the trend and still been able to, to play at a decent level. 
but there's not a ton of guys that play into that age range. So you're right. You know, when it comes to the trepidation of where teams might have it, it's, you know, getting a, a signing a contract at 30 and then trying to get to 37. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe not as easy for a player when you hit free agency at that point. No. Um, now, there are people wondering about Pedersen, whether he's hurt. Dusty and Van is asking. Others are texting in the same thing. He clearly is dealing with something. The question is, how much is it affecting him? Dusty wonders. The lack of shooting was noticeable last night. Um, might be the new PP structure, power play structure. I don't think it's a power play. I think he... He can get a shot off if he wants. I don't think he has. I don't think they're going. Like, here's the thing, though. I don't think he, you're seeing the shot get off as much because it's not the main decoy and it's not just the thing he always does. For the longest time, it was all Pedersen is doing is either passing it up to Quinn Hughes or he's taking the one timer. Like, yeah. He's not doing anything else, right? Now he's doing more things, so you shouldn't expect the one timer to be as prevalent. But I do agree with the point that last night there were times when he shot the puck, like he he his his hand slipped off it too a couple times. It didn't look comfortable. He didn't look like he was in major distress or anything, mm-hmm. but in terms of trying to pick up what he's dealing with and how it's impacting his game, I don't disagree that he did look a little awkward shooting the puck, and you don't see that very often. Yeah. He, he had, uh, there was a couple of moments he had a one-timer opportunity that he just healed, like missed it uh, almost completely, and went into uh, behind the net. There was another one on the Mayfield trip early in the third period where the Canucks were on the power play where he just blasted one mm-hmm. into the Islanders' uh, you know, shin pads. So teams are still trying to take away the Pedersen one-timer. Yeah. You know, it's still part of their pre-scout. Mm-hmm. And what the Canucks have done a really good job of is playing around it. And you, know, you just... Like, what's the one one-timer we've seen Pedersen score on the power play recently? It was the one that was like bang, bang off the off the face-off win. Yeah. Right? There's just not there's not a ton of, uh, against Toronto, and there's just not a ton of these opportunities where he gets a good look, but it's still because teams are game-planning against Pedersen, and in reality, there's just so many threats that the Canucks have to show on the power play right now. Um, will the contract negotiations weigh on Petey? He's leading the league in points, so yeah, I, I don't think it's bothering him. I don't think so either. And if it was an issue for him, I don't think he would have taken the posture of, I'm focusing on the season, I'll worry about the contract stuff later. Mm-hmm. Now, do I disagree that once it gets done, it could be a relief? Because no matter what, it's still something that's... un. No matter what you have in life, if you have something that's a pretty big thing that's not yet determined, once it gets done, it's a relief. So I'm sure it'll be a relief when it gets done. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. When we come back, Canucks and Flames, the pregame show. We'll start it off on the Sportsnet Radio Network and then get into Sportsnet Pacific at 5.30. Your questions, our picks for the game, and everything you need to know. Kuzmenko, who's coming up? All that next on the Sportsnet Radio Network.